Hello once again, Pits, Beans, and Space Marines. This is Justin, and you're listening to Wizards on Paper, your number one source for pen and paper RPGs. First, to start out the show, I'd like to give a big shout-out. We got a lot of positive feedback from Reddit. I thank you guys very much. I've taken a lot of what you said to heart. We've got a co-host here. What name are you going by? Oh, shit. Do you want to go by a name, or can I just call you Jarrett? You can call me... Oh, do I want to go with the Brodak or Coog or Jarrett? I'll just go with Jarrett. Okay, you can go with Jarrett. So I've taken a lot of what you guys said to heart from the subreddit. I've cleaned up my act, so to speak. I've got a co-host here. Uh, we're hoping to have a little bit of dialogue, some back and forth. I know he and I don't necessarily agree on everything, but at the same time, we want to have fun whenever we're playing D&D or any other pen and paper RPG for that matter. So without further ado, I introduce to you Jarrett. Thanks for that introduction, Justin. I hope my presence as co-host does not negate the beguiling effects that you've had on our audience so far. I am a charmer. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about character creation today. Uh, Character creation, not so much in the effect of numbers and stats. I want to talk to you a little bit about what goes into character creation. Now, uh, Jarrett here has been a DM for several years. I've known him since high school and since then, he's, he's taken a, a great shining into DM. He's good at what he does, definitely. And so I certainly respect his opinion. He's seen the good, he's seen the bad, he's seen the absolute worst uh, when it comes to character creations. So we want to get into it a little bit with him and sort of discuss what would really make a good, solid, playable character that's not only fun to play, but fun to listen to, fun to watch, fun to interact, Yeah, as far as what the other characters in the DM has to do with. Yeah, I'm so glad you didn't ask me, should I play this build or this build? Because that's probably one of the most annoying questions to ask a DM who really takes this game to heart. First of all, if you have to ask that question, you might as well as play Call of Duty. Now, why is that exactly? Because if you want to sit around and roll numbers and then shout those numbers out, you might as well as play a video game, because it'll do it for you in a much more visual manner. Excellent. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with that. I think that the pen and paper RPG is just as much a game of optimization as it is a a game of acting. You have to be a strategist and a thespian at the same time. And um, some hot thespian action happening right now on the table. Was that a pun? That was, was, it was an attempt at a pun, yeah. Anyway, back to my point. If you decide to play a list of numbers, the only person in the end that you are hurting is yourself. Well, I take that back. You're actually hurting the entire table. Well, yeah, you're, you're wasting everyone's time. You don't want to be that guy. Yeah, you've taken it upon yourself to sit around the table for at least four hours to listen to what I hope are your friends, pretend to live in a fantasy world, and bring alive a unique world and concept that a DM who has spent hours and hours planning, I hope... <laughs> now, some DMs like to wing it. Sorry. Well, some of us take it a little bit too seriously. Well, that's fine. No, no, I understand what you're saying. World building is a very big part of what the DM is doing, and it's, I guess, a bit inappropriate to really sort of waste that person's time with a character that you kind of just shat together. Now, there is a time and a place for it. If you're having a one-off or one of those hack-and-slash games or maybe even just like one of those modules that's thrown together that the DM didn't really build but it's just kind of running you through it, those are fun. Those are fun to goof around in. Now, we're talking specifically in the context of a campaign that is supposed to last and, and specifically with details of a character that prolongs a campaign, that that allows that campaign to fully function as a living, breathing, dynamic story that is constantly emerging with new plot points. Exactly. Um, The world is breathing, and if your character is not breathing and is more of a machine, ergo the numbers, 
then you're not really helping anybody out at the table. The world is supposed to come to life. You're supposed to enjoy the experience and live in that world instead of living at the world at the table rolling dice. Exactly. So for the listeners at home, we are speaking in the context of a elaborate game, a game that has taken some time to throw together, a game that is, uh, in particular, these sorts of games that we're talking about, these sorts of games that we're trying to prep you for, uh, will last. I mean, these could maybe uh, eventually be some sort of... uh... Let's take a lot of fantasy, for instance. I know a lot of fantasy novelists, uh, they cite roleplay as, as some some of their first forays into characterization and story building and, and more importantly world building. Um, a good example, and this might prove disfavorable to a lot of people, but R.A. Salvatore of the Dritz series, he is a big RPer. Yeah, and so like the Dritz Dorden, probably, I don't know, one of the third, he's at least in the top ten uh, beloved fantasy characters. I mean, he's He's, de- he's the product of a, of a character that someone made as a role player. He was definitely derived from RPing. But now that the listeners have an idea of what we're going to be talking about, I would like to preface the rest of it by talking about range. Range? Yes. Your ability to create a character that you feel is within your range. Okay, so like acting range. Yes, precisely. All right. So in, in talking about range, it's a good point that you bring up. Uh, speaking about range, not everyone can play everything. And what I mean by that is to say that Gilbert Godfrey would not be a very good Conan the Barbarian. Rob Schneider would not have been a very good Gandalf. Actually, Rob Schneider would have been amazing. As he, he's a chameleon. <laughs> Rob Schneider is the greatest actor that's ever lived. The point is, not everybody can play every type of character. Exactly, and it's important for you to be able to understand what your acting range is, what your role-playing range is, to be able to say, I can play that barbarian, or I can play something of a different race. Maybe I can be a grumbly dragon man, maybe I could be a surly dwarf, but it's important to identify if you're able to do that well. Maybe practice inside of your mind a little bit, you know, practice to yourself as like a a monologue even, uh, if you're really getting serious about characterization and, and playing that out. That actually does help, especially even as a DM who has to RP a bunch of different NPCs. I do often, and this might sound crazy, but speak aloud alone in my room and use different voices to portray different characters in my game. That's what that is? <laughs> I thought that was some weird phase you were going through. I get a little lonely. And so our point in this segment is to identify your range. Identify your range and be aware of what sort of characters you can and cannot play. Identify your strengths. Be able to figure out where your acting strengths, your role-playing strengths, really lie. Some people are just amazing at playing a wizard. Some people are amazing at playing a barbarian. Some people are cool at bards, I guess. Some people are not good at rogues. I feel like rogues are probably one of the worst played classes out of all the sessions that I've ever been in. I can definitely second that. Rogues, oftentimes, whenever a a person begins to play a rogue, it's one of two things, really. It's either a comedic relief of Indiana Jones, or it's a sulking pseudo-badass. 
that doesn't really do anything to make it that way. He wears the dark leathers and the cloak. And then... He covers his face with a bandana or something. And you know, I understand that's one of the archetypal images of a rogue, an assassin, whatever. But people just don't... A lot of people will not pull that off very well. They might have seen something fun on Naruto or something like that and wanted to emulate that. But unfortunately, it just it doesn't always work out. So... Now that we've covered range, let's move on to creating characters in the appropriate context of a campaign, specifically the one your DM has crafted for this particular character. Now, it's, a, it's not always up to the DM, and, and like that's the only time you're going to ever hear me say that, is because the DM does decide the rules, but I think in order for people to have fun, in order for people to enjoy themselves, in order for people to give four hours out of their week... To a game, they need to enjoy it. They need to have some sort of input on this. That is a good point because lately I've been telling my players what characters they need to roll and what their general personality should be like to fit within the game just because I'm a little bit controlling. That has turned out to have a negative effect on the game because they eventually die within one or two sessions. So well, I can see where you're coming from. I, I can see that as well. I could see there being a negative aspect of making the characters for your players in that they're not very attached to the characters that they've created. They didn't put a whole lot of effort into it, and they didn't put a lot of story into it. They didn't take time to write themselves. They didn't take time to make a history, to make this an actual person. Someone else made a person for them, and they're just the puppeteer. That's no different for me as a DM. If somebody hands me a module, I'm like, I don't care about this. Yeah, so So it's, it's something to consider. It would be in the DM's best interest to make characters for everyone else, but the game can suffer. As I was saying, that, and that relates to making your character appropriate in the context of the campaign. You want to make good choices that fit the world that you're going into. I'll give you an example. We, we talk a lot about D&D. Star Wars is a fantastic example of this because there are a lot of different races in Star Wars. There are a lot of different time periods that Star Wars takes place over. Some of these races, maybe they aren't discovered yet. You know, Ewoks technically aren't even discovered until Return of the Jedi. And so playing an Ewok before then doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Even though that is a viable character choice in a lot of the source books, it's not an option in many of the time periods. But Justin, how do you make sure you choose an appropriate character within the context of the campaign? Well, you ask your fucking DM. Oh, you collaborate with your DM. That's right. It's a big part of this. Big part of character creation, a big part of, of being a DM is to collaborate with your players in order to know what they want. It's important to collaborate with your DM in a lot of aspects of the character creations. And this is one of the most important ones. It's just to make sure that your character fits the context. So as I mentioned with Star Wars, one of the first things you want to do is just if the RPG does have a racial aspect, a racial choice in character creation, is to make the appropriate racial choice. Make something that makes sense in the context of the campaign. And not only that, but another important part of making appropriate choices, not only in the context of the campaign for race, but in the context of the party for race. And it may not be all that wise of an idea to have four Tiflings. Everyone runs into this game unaware of each other, and they're all four Tiflings. It's going to take a little bit out of the specialness of being that Tifling. And there's there's uniqueness in diversity. And gods forbid that all of those Tiflings are rogues. An all-Tifling rogue game would be kind of fun, actually. But that's exactly it. You have to collaborate, and you have to say 
This is an all-tifling, all-rogue game. And then you go and have fun with it. To have it as a surprise where the GM has made, like, this elaborate scenario that requires a well-rounded party, suddenly he's got four tiflings, four rogues, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, and that, that ruins the campaign, that ruins the story. And not that all parties have to be well-rounded out in campaigns. Of course not. I know, I know we're doing a lot of backtracking here because a lot of what we're saying is just a general idea of going in and not talking to your DM, not talking to other players. This is a surprise. If everyone is surprised to see that their character is not the only rogue in the party, then there can be problems with that, and it's a very easily correctable problem. It's not to say that it can't be done well, but oftentimes it's not. And after you've actually made the appropriate racial choice, you need to give reasons either to yourself or the DM, but you have to make sure you fit within the world. Give a reason for why you're there. It's a very good point. I know in a lot of RPGs, you do have the subject of racism. You do have the subject of discrimination. And oftentimes that does fall within the racial boundaries uh, of your choice. And so it may not be appropriate to have, let's say, a warforged, mechanized person inside of a druid city, for instance. Oh, druid yeah. city doesn't make a whole oh. lot of sense. Enclave. Uh, Druid Enclave. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to... It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to have a Wookiee as, as a finance manager. Although, Wookiee Financial would be pretty awesome. That, I mean, you'd have to be really good at role-playing to pull that off. Make sure that your origin, your race, makes sense in wherever you're starting out at. I know the Elder Scrolls series, and I understand that that's not quite a pen and paper. Or it might be. Could be. Could be. I, I'm sure there are homebrew games for, for Elder Scrolls. It would easily translate. Yeah, it's that's roughly D&D &D anyway. Forgotten Realms, at least. There's a lot of that in, in the Elder Scrolls series to say um, that certain towns don't have uh, a very equ equal racial distribution. It wouldn't make sense to have that lizard man live in this town, that sort of thing. It's, uh, it's, it's about population distribution. Not to say that you can't be the unique snowflake amongst the city, but how likely is that? And that all goes back to asking your DM what the city is like that you're starting out in. What the world is like. Where do races generally inhabit the planet or the realm or whatever you want to call it? The universe? The universe. Also, I mean, I guess of a minor note, it should go without saying, but also understand... The racial physiological limitations. You don't want to play a mermaid in the middle of a desert. I mean, unless you want to die. Which would be great, because dying in the first session is amazing. It only leads to good things. Now that you've considered the context of the campaign, you might want to consider your stats. And this is, this is my favorite part. And by favorite part, I mean the part that I hate the most. Mostly because I've had a few players that... And this is just my personal opinion, but I hate optimization. I love it. It's fantastic for me. And this is why you're my co-host, is because you can disagree with me on this one. This is where we pause the podcast, I hit you in the face for saying such a thing, and then we continue on with the podcast like nothing ever happened. <laughs> Welcome back to Wizards on Paper. Sorry. It's alright. Anyway. Back to my point, I really do not like optimization. Unless, of course, the player can justify it. Absolutely, and if you give that option to justify these stats for optimization, they will every time. Now, what is your... Look, I understand your point. 
and this is a point that I made very often. Whenever someone argues in favor of optimization, I'll play devil's advocate and I'll say, yeah, Bilbo Baggins was an optimized burglar. It's very obviously, he's not. You know, he's, he's very, he's not even fit for adventure in that story. But that's a story. Are you playing a story? You are playing a story. You're also playing a game. I'd say it's an even split. There are DMs that will kill you regardless of your handicap. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, another thing to keep in mind is you need to be useful for your group. Your group will value you more if you are a utility amongst them. It's not just about being funny. It's not just about being a humble person. It's not just about being a likable character. You have to be useful in some way. In any way, but at least one way. Oh yeah, entertainment. Entertainment is by far the, the biggest point uh, of any character, I think, is, is to entertain not only the person playing them, but the people around him. That's fine. I get that. It's not very entertaining to get murdered by a magical sea cat in the middle of a dungeon because someone is just bad. He's not optimized at all. Or I won't even say optimized, but he's not competent. Let's say that. Well, I think there's a difference between optimization and being a competent stat distributor. I can agree with that. I can agree that uh, perhaps the fighter doesn't need an 18 intelligence. Thank you, because I feel like some fighters take advantage of that, because they want that 10 plus to jump, or that 10 plus to swim to negate the negative 8 to swim that they get from their full plate armor. Well, doesn't that make sense in the context of their name? I mean, they are a fighter. They are a physical being. They're their very existence hinges on the word fighter, a physical attribute. But how does fighting relate to swimming? I can see how some fighters can be good swimmers and some swimmers can be good fighters, but do they necessarily have to correlate? I guess not all the time, but at the same time, uh, I see your point there. I mean, chimpanzees are strong and they can't swim. Exactly. Hmm. Well, that, that's why it's not entirely strength-based, that there is a skill base into that. I think I understand what you're saying there, and I would like to append something as well, is that whenever we're talking about stats and character creation, I think that it's always appropriate to justify certain statistical choices, because they're not pre-generated in most cases. You're going to have to have some reason for why you have a nature check if you live in a city. You, you're going to have a reason why you're able to swim so well. Maybe your stats reflect that you're able to swim extremely well because you live in a port town. That would make sense in the context of your character's story. Maybe if you lived in a metropolis all of your life, you probably won't have all that great of a nature check. Or maybe if you were a locksmith for most of your life, you'd be really good at lockpicking. Uh, or, you know, someone who just has a great interest in things that are behind locks. I can see your reason for if you can justify it, optimize, because it makes sense for the party to advance in the game. Yeah. But just flat out big numbers in the best possible positions for throw it on the board reason here. Oh, yeah. You know, I understand that there's a fine line between optimization and exploiting and, and knowing the game, really like playing the game. I will now never say that I hate optimizers. Okay. I will hate exploiters. That's a, that's a good idea. Yeah, because optimization is not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, you take a bard, for instance. I know a bard is a jack of all trades, but sincerely, they have one skill that they have to maximize every fucking time. That's perform for anyone who doesn't know. <laughs> I, I thought it was a praise. Well, that too. 
Another key point to optimizing is choosing a certain race just because it gives you that extra benefit and now, does not add to the story. Yeah, that goes into what we were saying there about picking the race in the context of the story. Well, what I'm referring to is a fighter, for instance. Most people who play fighter aren't going to choose elven fighter or gnome fighter. They're going to pick the human or the half-orc or any other physically adept race. Now, I disagree with you in that sense, simply because an elven dex fighter that uses a ranged weapon is a fantastic foe. I agree with that, but I have seen very few, if any, of those types. I'm referring to what I see most of the time, what I refer to as the bad players. Okay, there are air quotes when he said that. So, I mean, I, I understand that, but at the same time, I mean... The races, and I understand that we're talking specifically in the context of D&D. We are talking a lot about D&D, but I promise we're a pen and paper show. I do understand that, though, that there are some races that are, I guess, a bit more inclined or have a greater affinity towards certain professions. I mean, even dwarves have a favored class with fighter. Orcs have a favored class with barbarian. I mean, like, that is built into the game, and, and I do see that certain things are more likely. At the same time, I mean, it, it's not necessarily a bad thing to play combinations of race and class that are unlikely, like a orc druid, maybe, or an orc wizard. Orc wizard is my favorite. Orc wizard is, is really weird. It could be done, though. It can be done, and, and it could be done to great effect. I mean, that contrast inside of a character, person that is a wizard despite his deficiencies in intelligence, is a, uh, it's a feel-good movie of the summer. And he might be a bad wizard, but that does not matter. I know. It's like Rudy. Exactly. You know, it's um, that he tries. Really big Rudy. <laughs> really big, magical Rudy that can throw fire from his eyes. That's a movie. I think that about wraps it up for this week. Our conversation did carry on quite a bit further than what we were expecting, and so we're going to go ahead and continue this character creation topic in next week's episode. Thank you very much for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe to us on iTunes. Check us out on SoundCloud. Uh, we've got a Twitter up as well, at Wizards on Paper. You can email us any questions you might have or give us comments on any of those mediums. Our email address is podcast at wizardsonpaper.com. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope to see you again soon.